Glory to Glory, the radio teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Join us now as Pastor Joe Petting teaches from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. The title of the message this morning is Repent. It was funny, I texted this to my secretary to, <laughs> to have it put in the bulletin, and at first she says she thought I was talking to her to repent. <laughs> Maybe it was the Lord talking to her. I don't know. But, <laughs> but that's a, sometimes we look at that word and it can be scary. Repent. You know, it sounds like a rebuke. And we're going to look at, you know, what it means and all. Uh, I, I, I find it more of, a, it's not a rebuke. It's, it's a, a word that draws us close to God. And we're going to look at that. But repent. We're, we're called to repent. And it's a wonderful word. I, a while back when I was driving around locally here. I was at a, a red light and I stopped and I, I realized I needed to turn around. You know, I needed to go somewhere else or, and all. And, you know, I was, again, stopped at a red light, but I was getting impatient. The light was long. So I made a U-turn in front of the red light. And I, as I was making a U-turn there in front of that red light, I looked up and I noticed a camera. And I started driving and I started, you know, crying out to God, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry, Lord. Oh, Lord. And it would stirred me up. I said, Lord, please, I don't want a ticket. You know, please don't let there be a ticket. And I was like, I'm very sorry, Lord. And I truly felt the Lord speak to my heart and says, you know, basically, are you, why are you sorry? Is it because the camera was there? And that's why I was sorry. I was sorry because, you know, I might have gotten caught. I was sorry because the camera was there. I was sorry because, you know, I'm thinking maybe they're going to send a ticket in the mail. But that wasn't true repentance. You know, that wasn't true repentance because the camera was there. If the camera wasn't there, I don't think I would have even called out to God. But the good thing is it turned into true repentance. I said, okay, Lord, Lord, help me not to do this anymore. I'm going to try not to do this anymore. But we're not to just be sorry because we're caught. We're to, you know, try our best to walk in his ways. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about repentance here. And John the Baptist is going to call all the people to repent. So let's take a look at this wonderful story. Again, Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And it says, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod the ruler of Galilee, his brother Philip the ruler of Ituria, and the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius the ruler of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John the son of Zacharias. In the wilderness. 
The last story we looked at in chapter 2, if you remember, Jesus was 12 years old. Remember, he was in the temple and he was blowing the minds of the religious leaders. Remember, he was, you know, he was asking questions to the religious leaders and he was answering them. And they were astonished at his understanding and his answers. You know, think of that. Think of a little 12 year old boy, you know, there in the temple blowing the minds of these religious leaders. And that's what was happening. But he was 12 years old. Well, now we skip forward 18 years because this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. He's around 30 years old. So this is 18 years. We have 18 years of time that we just passed up there. We're not sure what happened. We don't have any biblical you know, verses here that we can reference. So we're, we jump forward 18 years and we're told that you know, these rulers were in place. As we read, all these rulers, even the two high priests, they were there in place, Annas and Caiaphas and all. These men had great authority. They ruled over many people. But I noticed something as I was reading this. I was noticing that God wasn't speaking to the rulers. God wasn't even speaking to the high priest at this time. It tells us that God spoke. The word of the Lord came to John the Baptist when he was in the wilderness, one set apart. Just for those that take note, you know, there was 400 years of silence up to this point. 400 years. God was not speaking through any prophet. God wasn't speaking to the prophets. The, the prophets had nothing to uh, say. You know, they weren't hearing from God for 400 years. Silence. Isn't it terrible when you, you, you walk with the Lord when you're not hearing from God? I find that terrible in my walk when, when I'm not hearing, when the Lord's not speaking, when he's not saying anything. And then, you know, they're like, Lord, you know, what are you trying to say to me? And there, there's silence. We need to trust by faith that God is speaking through his word when we can't hear him. And he does speak through his word today, but he also speaks in a still small voice. He still speaks today. God speaks to us. Jesus Christ said, he said, you know, my sheep know my voice and they, I know them and they follow me. That's in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep know my voice. We, we're to know the voice of our good shepherd and he's speaking today. And again, primarily through his word. But back then there was 400 years where there was silence. The Greek word here for, for word is not the general word that's used, you know, typically used logos, the, the Greek word logos. It's not the word logos. It's the word rhema. And it's, it's different than the word logos. It's not saying, you know, the written word spoke to John the Baptist. No, rhema, the, the, the spoken word. It's, the, it's God speaking directly to John the Baptist and speaking through John the Baptist to the people. Rhema, God speaking. This is a wonderful story. Is, again, I, I, I believe it's very clear as we read this. We read all these different rulers, all these different people, all these people in, in place, and, and these, the two high priests are there. But, but God does not speak to them. God speaks to one that's set apart. And we find that today. The, the, you know, the word saint means set apart for God. God has set us apart. As a church, God has set us apart. Isn't that wonderful? I feel blessed that God set me apart. I really do. 
I was in the world. I was, you know, seeking my own will. I was doing my own thing. I was in darkness. I was in sin. I was doing all the things the world was telling me to do. But when God pulled me out of darkness and brought me into his marvelous light, he washed me up. He cleansed me off. And then he set me apart for his plan and his purpose. And he said, this is the way. Walk in it. And that's how it should be for all of us. All of us should have that experience. We're set apart for the things of God. We're set apart for his glory. We're set apart to hear our good shepherd. We're a part of his fold. And we see John the Baptist was that first one that was set apart in the wilderness. And God starts speaking. He was the first saint set apart. Well, let's read on. It says, and he went into all the region around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low and the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Isaiah, the prophet spoke of this forerunner, John the Baptist, that would come before the Messiah came. That he'd be crying out in the wilderness, and that's exactly what he's doing. Let's not miss this picture, okay? Here's John the Baptist. He's out in the wilderness. He's near the Jordan River. He's crying out there, and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. People were coming out. Multitudes were coming out to hear what this man had to say. And the first word he used was basically repent. There's a baptism of repentance. They turn, turn away to receive forgiveness of your sins. Turn away to be pardoned. Turn away. And this, he was a rugged guy. He had the, you know, camel hair, you know, clothing, and he had a big leather belt and he was eating, you know, locusts and wild honey. And this was a rough dude here. This was a rough guy. But he was a vessel that God was using to speak to men. And as we're going to see, multitudes came out. But again, he said, his first words were, repent. Again, repentance. I believe it's more than, you know, a rebuke. It's not condemnation. It's an invitation to draw close to God. That's what, that's what John was saying. He was saying, draw close to God. The word repentance means change your mind. It means, you know, you know, think in a different way. Think biblically. Stop thinking the old way like you used to in the world. You know, th- have a, a, your mind set on things that are biblical and, and make your decisions based on, on the Bible. It's so important. Knowing the word of God, applying the word of God. That's a way of repentance, having to change a mind. Do you remember how you used to think before you accepted Christ? Well, the things that you used to think upon, the things that you used to you know, ponder. Well, well, as a Christian, you're to stop thinking about those things and you're to think biblically. Repent. But also means turn your direction. To, to have a, you know, a different direction. That means if you're driving north down the 405, turn around and go south down the 405. To, to change your direction, to, to go in the opposite direction, to go the other way, to, to, in other words, turn away from sin, turn away from the ways of this world, and turn to God and just seek Him. A schoolgirl, a Sunday school girl, 
defined repentance this way. She said, repentance is being so sorry you don't do it again. And how often, you know, you, you, you find yourself, oh, I'm not going to do that again. And you do it again. Well, I'll never do that. And you do it again. I promise I'll never do that again. And you do it again. As Christians, we have power not to do it again. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to, you know, turn away from it, turn to God. And he gives us power over those things. There's no true conversion unless there's repentance. I tell you, as a, as a pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm sickened and I'm saddened. My heart breaks for, for so many that I see. And I, I run into so many that, that you know, used to be in the church and I run into them and they're, you know, they're, they're practicing drunkenness and they're, they're, they're doing all these things. They're bound in sin and it's just constantly, constantly, constantly. My heart breaks. I'm like, Lord, set them free. And then if you were to talk to them, they would say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I'm going to heaven. And then if the Bible teaches, you know, those that practice such things, they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And, and it's serious stuff. If the Lord Jesus Christ would come back for his church to rapture the church, you know, according to his word, those would be left behind that are practicing such sins, sexual sins or drunkenness and all these type of things. But you get people say, well, no, I accepted Christ. But did you repent? Have we repented? I heard a story of an elderly lady. She was very rich and she drove to the mall in her fancy, big fancy Mercedes. And, you know, she, the mall was busy because it was, you know, near Christmas time and all. So she's driving around looking for a parking spot, driving around looking for a parking spot. She couldn't find a parking spot. So she's finally, some guy was coming out with all these packages. So she followed him to his car and she waited as he loaded all the packages into his car and all. And she's waiting and waiting. And then finally he pulls out and then she gets, you know, she had her blinker on her turn signal on to go turn in. And as she's getting ready to turn in, a a red Corvette came in and zipped right into her spot. So she rolled her window down. The young man was walking out, you know, to the mall. And she says, son, she says, you know, I was waiting for that parking spot. And, and he took his keys. He threw his keys up. And he says, well, that's, that's what it means to be young and fast. So he took, she took her Mercedes and she backed it up and smashed into the, the Corvette. And she went forward and smashed into it again. And she went forward and smashed and the fiberglass is flying all over the place. The young man stopped. He said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Stop. And she says, well, that's what it means to be old and rich. (laughs) Our human nature is sinful. We need to turn from our human nature, our sinful nature. Check this out. Do you know if, if you were to pick the first word in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, if we were to pick one word, the first word, you know, what do you think that first word would be? Think through that. Some people say that it, it's possibly faith. The first word of the gospel is faith. Because remember in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, when they were talking to the Philippian jailer, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So some people say, you know, Maybe it's faith. Maybe that's the word. Excuse me. Other people say grace. Great word. Grace. In Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And they'll say the first word of the gospel, you know, is grace. Others say love. Another wonderful word. For God so loved 
the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would just believe in him, they shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So they say, you know, it must be love. I believe the first word of the gospel is repent. And the reason I say that, because when Jesus starts his ministry, the very first words out of his mouth in Matthew 4, 17, it says he began to preach and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn. John the Baptist in Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2, when he starts his ministry, as we're looking at right here, but it makes it very clearly, it makes it very clear that he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was his first words out of his mouth. He said, repent, turn. How about the 12? Could we find the first word that the 12 used? The very first word for the gospel that they used? I think we can. In Matthew chapter 6, or excuse me, Mark chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus called the 12 to himself and he began to send them out two by two with power. He sent them out to preach. And it tells us in verse 12 in Mark 6, it says, so they went out preaching that the people should repent. And then I was thinking through this and I'm thinking, well, what about Paul the Apostle? How can we find his first word, the, the word that he used when he went out preaching the gospel? How do we know what word that is? Well, in Acts 26, when Paul the Apostle was talking to King Agrippa, he was telling him about his, his heavenly vision. He says he was not disobedient to his heavenly vision. Listen to this. This is very interesting. He says, but he declared first, first, to those in Damascus, in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and to the, and to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works Befitting of repentance. Do you know the polls show that in America, 76 to like 80% of people in America claim to be Christians? That's, that's a huge number. That's huge. Look at your neighborhood. Does that, do you believe that that reflects your neighborhood? Because I look at my neighborhood, I wonder, does that reflect my neighborhood? Does, does it look like 76% are, are Christians following the ways of the Lord in your neighborhood? Anybody? Let's not lose the picture. He's out there. He's in the wilderness. John the Baptist, he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. He's calling people and he's telling them to repent. But listen to what he says next in the next verse. And he said to the multitude that came out to be baptized by him, he said, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two coats or tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Wow. 
You know, for those that take notes, brood of vipers means a generation of poisonous snakes. Don't lose this picture, okay? I mean, please follow. I love picturing these things. He's out there in the wilderness. He's baptizing, right? Multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes. People are coming from all over to see this man, to hear what God has to say. And he calls them a generation of poisonous snakes. That's not secret friendly. That's not trying to keep the crowd going. This man cared more about what God was saying and what, you know, instead of being a man pleaser, what the, the people thought about him. He, he cared about what God, what was God saying? God was telling them to, all of them, the multitudes, turn around, turn to God, do what's right. And you can summarize everything he said to them basically is do what's right, start doing what's right. Take a new course, change, turn direction. Do what's right. As believers, most of you know this already. I'll tell you, we, at the men's retreat, I was so blessed. It was such a blessing at this men's retreat, guys. Those of you that came to the men's retreat, I don't even have to tell you because you were there. You know how great it was. Those of you that weren't able to make it, I would say, let's mark our calendar for next year. You don't want to miss what happened out there at the men's retreat. It was so powerful. God met with us in a very special way out there. Did all kinds of work. Speaking loud and clear to us. It was wonderful. One of the things we talked about was, you know, this word justification. I love that word, justification. Romans 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification. And we looked at how that word justification is a legal word. It's a legal term. It means declared right before God, basically. Declared righteous. And it's not a process. It's not a process that we're going through as believers. It's an act that was done at the cross of Jesus Christ. The day you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have been made right before God, every one of us. I love hearing that. I cannot hear that enough times. I get excited every time I say it. I get excited every time I think about it. I get excited every time I read it. Because we don't always believe that. I, personally, I don't always believe that. I can base, you know, my relationship with God based on my works and what I've done and what I haven't done. If I, if I got up early in the morning, I spent great time with the Lord, man, I have a good standing before God. But that's not what the Bible says. I have a good standing before God no matter what because of what Jesus Christ did at the cross. And so do you as a Christian. We are declared right. It's like the judge said, you know, as we stand before him, the judge puts the mallet down. The, the judge of all creation puts his mallet down and says, justified right before me, righteous. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, me? Serious? Righteous, right, me, before God as a born-again believer? Yes. Every one of us have a right standing before God. And we need to know that when we have this walk, when we walk with the Lord, we need to understand the truth of that, the reality of that, that you're standing right before God today as a born-again, blood-bought saint of the living God. You were right before him. But there's a process that takes place, not to make us justified, not to make us right, but there's a thing called sanctification that's taking place in the believer's life. 
as we choose to do what's right, as we choose to, to do things biblically, as we repent and we turn away from old ways, old habits, old things that we used to do in the past. God is sanctifying us. He's changing us from glory to greater glory. But I believe sometimes what some believers do, they receive Christ and they check out, they stop the, the, the process of sanctification. And they don't mature. And they don't grow. And they don't change. And they stay the same. And, and they, I've met people like this. And maybe you've met people like this. You talk to them. You know, I've met people that say, you, know, they, you talk to them about spiritual things. They say, oh, I used to go to the tent. In the tent days, Calvary Coastal Mesa, I got saved in the tent. the throne of mercy. It's the sound of our you have been listening to Glory to Glory with Pastor Joe Pettit and Outreach of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. If you would like to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, call now at 714-788-8221. That's 714-788-8221. We'd like to extend an invitation to visit us here at Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Our address is 16450 Pacific Coast Highway in Huntington Beach, California, 92649. We're located in Peter's Landing Marina in Huntington Harbor. Our service times are Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Now, may we continue to go to His throne of mercy as He changes us from glory to glory. As we come to your throne of mercy, sound of our singing praise, it's the sound of our